The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, James Schrepfer, and on this episode, I'm going to be joined by His Excellency Bishop Dolan of St. Gertrude the Great Church in Westchester, Ohio. Uh, good morning, Your Excellency. Uh, good morning, James. How are you doing? Good. Good. The weather appears a little snowy, but uh, it's still winter, so we're dealing with well, it as we can. That's, uh, that's certainly a cause for prayer, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, Would you like to start us out with prayer? I, I would, I would. I think it's always good to pray, particularly because we'll, we'll, be, we'll be speaking of devotions, and um, we should then begin with the devotion of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Prayer to Our Lady of Guadalupe. O Holy Mary, Virgin Mother of God, who as Our Lady of Guadalupe did aid in the conversion of Mexico from paganism in a most miraculous way, We beseech thee to bring about the conversion of our modern world from its neo-paganism to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of thy divine Son, Jesus Christ, starting in the Americas and extending throughout the entire world, so that soon there may be truly one fold and one shepherd, with all nations recognizing the reign of thy Son, Jesus Christ the King. This we ask of the Eternal Father, through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, and by thy powerful intercession, all for the salvation of souls, the triumph of the Church, and peace in the world. Amen. Holy Mary of Guadalupe, Queen of Mexico, and Empress of the Americas, preserve our faith and save our country. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So on the show, Your Excellency, we're going to start out with just discussing devotions in general, and then in the second half of the show, we'll transition into devotions that you've run into or come across in Mexico and your travels to Mexico. So I'll just start with a very basic question, Your Excellency. What is a devotion? Well, that's a good question, of course, because uh, it's always good, James, to do a definition before we start anything else instead of talking are talking around the topic. In other words, let's define. So I think the first thing we want to do is to make a distinction between devotions or a devotion and devotion itself. What is devotion? Because devotions, the plural, or a particular devotion, come in under the general heading of what devotion is. I always like to do the Latin etymology, the etymology, the word origin. Devotion Come, you see two words there, day, and in this sense that the Latin prefix means towards or from, vovere, to, to vow, to vow oneself towards or for God. 
That's a devotion, to vow ourselves to God. The moral theologians define devotion as the will to give oneself readily to the things that pertain to the service of God. You see that in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. You see it in the lives of the saints, and you see it in the lives of our fellow Catholics throughout the world still today. So someone who is devoted in a general sense, just, say, just using the term maybe like in a secular connotation, someone who's, who's a devoted mother, well, that, that mother takes very, very good care of her children. She makes sure that they dress warmly in the winter, and she feeds them well, and, and she disciplines them and, and, and everything else. She's, she's devoted to them. She takes good care of. Devotion is not, we should stress, primarily merely something external, nor is it merely a sort of a feeling or a sentiment. It's attached to the the higher part of the soul. It's an act of the will, whereby we offer ourselves to the service of Almighty God. God is what it's all about. God is the, our last end. He is our purpose for our existence. Um, devotion, in, in the sense, then, inspires sometimes prayers, sacrifices that we might make, or adoration, but it always entails this idea of, of a, ready, a ready willingness. Here I am, Lord, send me. That's, that, that's part of the idea of devotion. Uh, and, and to do what? To carry out Almighty God's will. You see, our, our Lord is the best example of devotion in every sense of the word. I have come to do the will of my Father, our Lord insists in the Gospels, and you hear it a lot during the during the Lenten Gospels, I am not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. At the same time, our Lord, in carrying out his Father's will, is very careful to act with devotion towards all of his obligations as a devout member of, of God's chosen people, the Old Testament, a, a devout Jew. And so then our Lord is careful, for example, to go up to the temple on feast days and to offer sacrifice, and, and, and indeed to go so far, our Lord insists that the, the people, the faithful, should observe their, their spiritual leaders and, and follow their, uh, the, the laws that, that they give them. And all of this is to be done not just externally, not just with the lips, but with the heart. That's a, that's a real important concept of devotion and, and the worship of God. God doesn't want something which is just external. And we'll, a little bit later on, we'll talk a little bit maybe about, the, about this idea of almost a kind of a superstition or a business approach to prayer that disgusted our Lord. That's why our Lord, that's one of the reasons our Lord twice in his life you know, turned those, uh, the, the, the tables of the money changers over in the temple. He doesn't, he doesn't want that. Devotion, then, we'd have to distinguish from a certain pleasure or a holy feeling, you might say, that sometimes, not always, but sometimes you do receive in prayer. Devotion is more than just being pleased with the beauty of a church, uh, a finely delivered sermon, a, a beautiful hymn magnificently sung, a solemn high mass, something like that, the, uh, a beautiful image or statue. It's, it's more than just the externals. It's the externals that, that are appreciated because they are an expression of what's going on on the inside in our will. So that's a little bit about so, what devotion is in general, James. So Your Excellency, saying like uh, emotional responses to sermons, like, oh boy, that one just really hit home, uh, mm -hmm. are not the same thing as devotion. Those are more for our own pleasure, in a sense. Well, ac actually, 
that kind of a, of a response to a sermon to say, that really hit home, and, and because of that, I'm going to stop doing such and such a thing, or start doing something else, or make a good confession, or change my life. That's, that actually is a, is a good example of devotion at its very best. Devotion as a springboard to uh, action. That would be what the theologians call an external cause of devotion. The sermon itself, and then your response to it. I suppose we would say devotion is not merely appreciating the beauty of of, of, a, of a sermon, if you stay with that. It's, it's well organized, and it's, the, the delivery was dramatic, and, and I found it very interesting, kept my attention. Did, did you change your life? Did you make any resolutions? Um, well, no, I didn't think about that. It just, in other words, it's more than just an aesthetic pleasure. Or, uh, but what you mentioned—that's a good example of of devotion at its, at its best. Devotion and working. Another way to promote that kind of devotion, and really a chief way, is is reflection. The sermon is very connected with mental prayer, or with meditation, or with spiritual reading, and all all of these are ways in which we reflect or think, or are aided by others to reflect and to think, to consider something about God and the great truths of the spiritual life and saving our souls. And then that leads us then to just maybe to stir up our love of God and to make good practical resolutions for our own, our own spiritual life. And that's how devotions, devotions, now let's talk about devotions in the plural, that's how uh, devotions, I think at their very best, Work. They are they are meant to um, inspire us. They are meant to make us stop and reflect. They're meant meant to be there at the right time in the right place. You might say when we need them. They are they are meant to be so many different, uh, uh, like maybe almost an infinite because there are so many devotions, indulgences, and approved by the church. That there uh, there all these are are lifelines that that are. That are uh, that are that are thrown out to us by by God, uh, by Our Lady, by the saints, if for the salvation of our souls, and for um, you might say the inserting of the holy into our lives. That's 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 devotion at, at its truest sense. So then, at one time in your life, or maybe uh, uh, for one kind of a person, a certain devotion would appeal, and then uh, so, at another time, another place, there'd be another devotion. So, so your Excellency, to kind of bridge this a little bit, is a devotion then a prayer, or is it an action, or can it be both? Well, devotion itself, then, is that action of the will that makes us prompt or ready to serve Almighty God, because He's the reason we're here. He's our, what we call our last end. One of the, one of the means towards devotion is the practice of, in the plural, devotions, just as it would be uh, meditation, spiritual reading, the ro- listening to a sermon, and then right away you get into devotions, because the next word I'd, I would want to say would be the rosary, uh, med- meditating on the rosary, the, the Dominican way. So then devotions in the plural are one particular form of the worship of Almighty God and the devotion to Our Lady and the saints. Some Some of these devotions are Liturgical devotions are officially approved. Um, the forty hours devotion, for example, some are approved for public uh, for public prayer, such as novenas in the in the in the old days. Um, a devotion of the month—that's indulgence, the holy name devotion for the month of January, for example. 
and then and then 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 there's a whole world uh, that we've that we that we've spoken of at some length in some previous shows on Restoration Radio, which I'm sure are are still available there in the archives uh, about sacramentals. Sacramentals. We should probably talk. What do you think? We should maybe talk about sacramentals a little bit because sacramentals are. Um, are, are great examples of devotions in the plural, and uh, the way they work, actually, <clears throat> that takes us to the, the heart of this definition that we're kind of chewing on right now, the way a sacramental works is to, by literally, to stir up the devotion in our own heart. So what's a sacramental? Sacramental is some, it's a, a baby sacrament, I like to say. A sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. If it's received with the proper intention, it automatically gives grace. But um, sacramentals do not automatically give, give grace, but sacramentals dispose our heart like, like a sermon would it, but it, or a mental prayer, meditation, but in a different way. Sacramentals dispose our heart for those, those correct acts. We'd, say, we'd almost say like an act of devotion, which would in turn bring, bring grace. So sacramentals are sometimes actions, um, sometimes holy things, and uh, sometimes prayers. So getting your throat blessed on St. Blaise Day, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a holy action. If, if received devoutly, then, and based on really the, 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 the intention of your own will and the fervor of your own prayer, could indeed bring a very strong blessing from God for health of soul and body, as, as the, the priest prays. Um, Ash Wednesday, the ashes, that's a, that's a sacramental as well. Uh, holy holy water taking the holy water is that that's another that's another sacramental uh things uh are are sacramentals as too for example uh, the, the whole range of scapulars there are so many scapulars and there are so many medals with so many different blessings those are those are sacramentals too um and then and then many prayers the, the indulgence prayers of the church also be sacramentals certain other ceremonies too for example incense the burning of incense in church that's a sacramental for the uh, in the worship of almighty god in the in the practical order your excellency when i was um kind of preparing for the show here and thinking mm-hmm. about this i was wondering is it possible to make your daily actions or your daily tasks a devotion is is that an achievable goal to make your daily duties a devotion to God. It's 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 not only an achievable goal, uh, James. It's it's actually the uh, the goal of of the Christian life. Saint Paul says, "Who or or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing." And so we're not meant to let anything separate. So that means we are meant to uh, work to make everything unite us to Christ. And that's in a sense. That touches the, the the essence of devotion, the promptness of the will to serve God, so that anything and everything all day long, it's encapsulated by a particular devotion that was especially promoted by the Jesuits and and in a confraternity that was known as the Apostolate of Prayer, and I refer of course to the morning offering. And at one time it was it was quite an organized affair, but today it's just something that Catholics are uh, urged. To, to recite the morning offering. There are, there are different forms of doing it, but the idea is, as you say, to make everything all day long a devotion or a form of prayer. So while um, 
you know, fixing your oatmeal for your morning breakfast or getting the coffee ready would seem to be just a humdrum pedestrian action. If it's offered up out of the two levels here, if you offer it up out of the love of God, you do it for a reasonable purpose, and you seek God's glory in it, well, then God is indeed glorified by that. Uh, and that's one way of glorifying God, as it would be indeed to stop and to say your morning prayers, the morning offering, your three Hail Marys, and some of the other common Christian prayers to do maybe, especially because it's Lent, do a little spiritual reading, do some, um, do some a little bit of reflection or, or meditation. So that's the idea. And really the idea of, of um, well, this is stressed by St. Francis de Sales in his wonderful book about devotion. He is a whole theory, you might say, or spirituality of devotion, uh, the introduction to the devout life, is that we should, we should always be thinking of God. We should, we should never be too far from God in prayer, and everything we do should become a prayer for God. So then we would, we would do things uh, carefully, we would do things in a, in a loving way, and we all, we're offering everything up to God, and that's important, that nothing be wasted, because we're here on this earth to save our souls. And the idea of separating, as people will, you know, because human nature and original sin, we, we tend to separate, well, God might get, what, 10 minutes a day for most people, and if they're, if they're devout, maybe 30 minutes a day. I'm talking about maybe the, there might be a rosary and some other devotions or prayers. And then the hour or two that they might put in to Mass on, on Sunday, if they're lucky and they can hear a Mass. And all the rest, well, what happens to all the rest? Ah, indeed. That's where true devotion comes in, St. Francis de Sales would say, that there's, there's a way of leading a devout life in which everything uh, is, 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 as you say, it's turned into a devotion somehow. Nothing is, nothing is, is lost. Now, if I could stay with that thought for a second, there's, there's another way in which what we do could be turned into devotion. And another one of my favorite saints, Gertrude the Great, she's our patroness here at our church, uh, who was a great mystic, great uh, Benedictine or Cistercian mystic from Germany um, in, the, in the High Middle Ages. She would often, you might say, use um, association to promote devotion. That is to say, if she was eating some grapes, she wouldn't just eat grapes. She would think some pious thought about it, that she would offer this up to refresh our Lord in her soul, and then and maybe to thank Almighty God for his providence in providing fruit for us, for our refreshment, something like that. She'd carry it a, a, a little bit further, and maybe, a, and then even finally to associate something with, um, with some devotion uh, that's um, in, indulgence by the Church or, or, or blessed or promoted. So one thing can lead to another. But even just doing everything out of the love of God and, and to kind of renew that, at least from time to time throughout the day, that's, that's crucial. And then, you know, that, that takes us to the heart of what devotion should be. It shouldn't be mere exterior prayers, a form of um, that we go through because we feel that we have to or because we're uh, well, we're, we're, we're desperate for, for some need and say, let me try this devotion. Let me see if this works. Well, you know, people would say, well, you know, St. Philomena hasn't really worked for me, so I'm going to try St. Rita, <laughs> or I'll, I'll go to the Holy Faith, <laughs> because there are indeed so many devotions. And, and you really do have your pick. But um, 
the devotions of the day and the, the association that you make with them, that's very important. Then go, then go from breakfast to work, right? So you work, you think of working yeah. with our Lord who worked for all those years with St. Joseph and offering up your, your work uh, in the spirit of, of the Holy Family. It's the month of March, the devotion to St. Joseph, patron saint of those who labor. So there are always those connections and those links. And I think here we've, in a sense, we've kind of touched upon maybe the heart of what devotion is. And kind of segue there, I think that you mentioned that you know people get discouraged. They have a devotion to St. Philomena for a month, two months, mm-hmm. and then, well, that's not working. Let's go to St. Rita. Is mm-hmm. there then a, a certain superstition that Catholics can fall into in regards to devotions or certain pitfalls? One can get the false ideas in doing devotions of, of what they are. Yes, uh, very much so, that um, a devotion... Uh, that a devotion is simply, it's either it's sentiment, just feeling, uh, and there's no connection with my moral life or my daily life, or it is, and this is far worse, superstition. Superstition is a sin against the first commandment that um, that uh, an, an abuse of a, uh, something which is holy or linked to Almighty God, to the worship of God. And so people will try, and actually, here, I think you, 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 can, you, you can see uh, the, the abuse of a false devotion. St. Louis de Montfort talks about false devotion to Mary, for example. The abuse of a false devotion, which is <clears throat> something come up with by the devil, and it's the exact opposite of true devotion. So our correct attitude towards all of the panoply of these wonderful devotions we have, <clears throat> excuse me, as Catholics, is that these should all be expressions of my prompt will to serve God and an aid or an assistance to my prompt will to serve God. But um, how do many people look at devotions that they practice? It's not my prompt will to serve God, but it somehow gets turned around and it becomes God's prompt will, and I stress prompt, to serve me. In other words, I have a need, and I want this need taken care of right now, and if uh, St. Rita, if, you, if, you're, if you're the gal for the job, you go for it, and do it for me, but if not, you know, I'm going to take my business somebody else. And so you, you turn things around, you make it, you, you make it um, into the pagan concept of prayer or of worship, which is what? That if you do it right, if you, you know, sit nine days in nine particular ways, and then, you, then you know, there are these superstitions, you've got to copy out a prayer and put it in a church for nine days, something like that, which those things have always been condemned by the church, that they're, they're not approved at all. Um, then you're guaranteed, you're going to get it. And we want to bind God. That's the old Roman pagan concept of their the offering up of their sacrifices that um, they they didn't love that the idea of loving God was unknown to the pagans that they feared God or the gods and they wanted to bind by certain ceremonies or gestures or um, or formula formulae they wanted to bind the gods and and make them do their will so then that that becomes in magic or a form of superstition and all of that is from the devil it's not from Almighty God at all. Uh, you you see that a little bit in our country, uh, but you I see that a lot in Mexico. 
and I, we don't see it so much in our country. I think because the faith of so many people is is cold or it's almost non-existent, and it's extremely formal. And um, they might say a prayer when they're really desperate, you know, for something you know, on the way to the hospital or the emergency room, but not usually. Whereas in in Mexico. The, as you see just by visiting there, you see all these images of the saints and Our Lady of Guadalupe is everywhere and the sign of the cross and so many churches and the bells and, and processions and all the rest. There, there's, there's a very strong faith. And because there is a strong faith, the, the devil is there, and he's very, very active too, and he wants to twist that faith into superstition. But as I say, it's not just Mexicans. That's, this is something which is human. And it's probably good for us to, to right at the very start of this, uh, of, of this new series, to stress that idea that um, re- religion is not a matter of binding God to do my will. Religion is, is a matter of binding my will to serve Almighty God to do His will. And that's, of course, to glorify God and to, and, and to save my soul. And all these devotions are at my disposition to help me. But um, I think in, in that sense, Your Excellency, would you not say then that one is uh, going to begin a devotion to really mentally focus on making it not a fulfillment of our own will, but of God's will to really make that commitment prior to even doing the devotion? Yes, that's very, very important, so, which is why they say if you're making a novena, if you're praying very seriously for a particular grace, uh, go to confession as part of that. Make a good examination of conscience. Make a good confession. Go to Mass and go to Holy Communion as, as, as part of that. And, and then pray pray very fervently. But pray for, um, pray for the, the will of God to be done. Um, I think that um, prayer starts out that way. You know, we're spiritually babies, and these are baby steps for people. And God, as a loving parent, accepts the baby steps. He wants to encourage the baby to, to, to stand up and to totter, and he catches us when we fall. And that and that's fine. And sometimes people probably never get too much beyond the baby steps, but at least it's something. And in the, in the spiritual order, something is always better than nothing. And God can, because he's God, he can do an awful lot with an awful, with just a little tiny bit. It's like the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. You know, the, the five loaves and the two fishes fed 4,000. 5,000, wow. God can do that, and he will. So we should, I think we should never despise this. But the truth of the matter is, we start out one way, going to God with our, our needs, and thinking, if I say this prayer, God will have to answer me, the Blessed Mother will have to give me the miracle that I'm looking for. And we pray with great faith and great devotion. We really, really want it. We have confidence in the power of prayer and all the rest. You go to God that way, but the devotions, when they're properly practiced, are going to take you to another place. And uh, that that other place is a real submission to the will of God, rather than the imposition of your will on God. So in the in the in the practice I have to now I have to mention Saint Louis de Montfort because for me he's the one who he solves the quandary of how we go about prayer and praying for things. Isn't there a contradiction? Would you think it would come across, right? It would seem like there's a contradiction between me asking for what I want and making novenas and devotions and, and all these devout practices 
uh, for for a particular intention, and then at the same time, what devotion itself is, which is the bending of my will to the service of God. What if God doesn't want that for me? And I think that in the in his wonderful book that I'd recommend to our listeners, it's it's one of the basics like Introduction to the Devout Life. You also want to read and study The True Devotion by St. Louis de Montfort, preferably with the, that wonderful introduction by Father Faber. St. Louis de Montfort, he explains it, and I think he explains it very, very well. And we talked about babies, you know, and baby steps. You stay there. You stay in the way of spiritual childhood. You, in a very simple way, all your life long, you will always take all of your needs to 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 Jesus through Mary, and Jesus in turn brings them to his Father. You go to Jesus through Mary, and you go many times a day. So you're worried about someone who's sick in the hospital. Uh, um, uh, you go many times a day, you, you bring this person, this prayer, this intention to Mary. She's your mother, as a little child would, to show the boo-boo to mom, because I, I got hurt, and you know, what should I do, and I'm crying. And, and, our, and, and the mother lovingly uh, receives the child each time and, and, and takes care of the child. But at the same time, there's that childlike confidence and trust that God knows best. Mary, my mother, she knows best. And going to her in prayer helps me, changes me, changes my soul, so that I can accept God's will in, in these things and have that trust and that confidence. So God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us in all simplicity. He wants to hear from us many, many times. But yet at the same time, the more we talk to God, the more we and the more we practice a real devotion, the more our hearts are disposed to accept God's will in all things. So you you end up. Um, Monsignor Benson gave an interesting series of sermons that was published as a book called "The Paradoxes of Catholicism." This was about a hundred years ago in Rome. He was a famous Anglican convert to the Catholic faith, and um, the paradoxes of Catholicism. It was a Lenten series he preached at the Church of St. Sylvester, and it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a book that explores what we're talking about right now. This is a paradox, isn't it? On the one hand, people might go to a devotion or the practice of devotion because they have some real strong needs. And yet, on the, when, if it's working right, on the other hand, they'll get more than they asked for, and they might not get exactly what they asked for or not at all. But that's how devotion works. So to just summarize just a little bit before we transition into the next part of the show, the, the causes, I think we've kind of mentioned some of the causes, but do you want it to just maybe elaborate on the causes of devotion for listeners? Well, <clears throat> devotion being a, um, a ready willingness of the soul to honor God, to, to do God's will, anything which would promote that ready willingness on our part is uh, a terrific help true to, we would say, true devotion. And so some of these helps would be uh, external, and some would be internal. So everything from the sign of the cross, the morning offering in the morning, uh, the, the use of holy water, the kissing of the scapular, putting the scapular on, wearing a particular medal with devotion, or a particular badge that one might use, uh, those are... Um, those are all external things, but if used properly as sacramentals work, then they dispose the soul to, to elicit these acts of love and of trust and of adoration, petition of reparation. Then extended a little bit further would be 
uh, the, the, and for, for causes or um, ways to promote devotion in your life would be spiritual reading. I mentioned a couple of great books that are, that, that, that are really spiritual classics. Uh, would be the listening to listening to sermons. A lot of our, well, obviously, probably a lot a lot of people on the um, the Restoration Radio Network are are great sermon fans, right? One way and another, they they, they listen to to a show like this or maybe to an actual sermon, and 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 that that gets you thinking, and it's the thinking part that leads to the willing part, and then of course finally meditation itself. So the, so the devotion of the Rosary stands out as supreme here. Because the Dominican Rosary is an external devotion, there are the prayers that are said, there are the, the beads that are blessed and, and, and fingered, but at the same time, the, the interior part, the mental meditation or thought, that's very important to gain the indulgences and actually to perform the devotion properly. It's some consideration of divine things, the love of God, sorrow for sin, uh, the memory of his goodness, the mysteries of the life of Christ, good resolutions that we would make in our lives. <clears throat> All of these things are, well, they're, they're a cause of devotion, and they are at the same time a fruit or the result, or you might say the proof of true devotion. So the, 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 the rosary is... is, is, is uh, is probably supreme in this area. Uh, it, it does it does all those things. And and with that, I think we'll kind of transition now, maybe into some devotions that you've encountered down in Mexico. But before we do that, I would like to remind listeners that you are listening to Devotions with Bishop Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host James Shrumper, and today I'm joined by His Excellency. And we've been discussing devotions in general about devotions. And we want to remind you that Devotions with Bishop Dolan is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. And all rights are reserved. And any duplication without explicit permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. So, Your Excellency, we talked about some of the causes. And here in America, we don't really have these external shrines to bring about those devotions. But down in Mexico, do they still have a lot of the external shrines and public images to bring about devotion? They they do, and it's 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 one of the marvelous things that you see. You see, in the sense, a very vibrant and a very living faith, and you see at the same time touching examples of, of God's goodness, of the mercy of the Blessed Mother towards this people whom she obviously loves very much. I would say, I, I would say about America, and this is something maybe in, in some other show later on we could we could explore together, that actually in, in America there are a number of shrines and there are a number of devotions. But as I say, maybe it's because of our modern life and our overly rational approach. Devotions have, uh, to, uh, to a large, in a large measure, kind of died out. And that's, that's sad. That's a tragedy. That's a real impoverishment of our life. Because why does God inspire devotion? Why does he send Our Lady to this earth? If not to stir us up, to encourage us, to correct us. And in effect, help us to save our souls. So that's why there are all these titles, there are all these shrines, there are all these places of apparition. Um, but the, the idea always is the mercy of Almighty God. As, as I mentioned earlier, 
Mexico is a land of very, a very deep faith and a very, very strong tradition. It's also a land of, of very, very strong demonic presence, whether it be by the organized forces of naturalism, particularly the work of the, uh, the atheistic Masonic lodges against Catholicism throughout, throughout so much of its history, or whether it be through actually the sin of superstition and then finally through devil worship, which is very popular in Mexico, uh, you have uh, the demonic opposition to to the graces that are that are just sort of present everywhere and just really really o- uh, overflowing there with all these apparitions of Our Lady. But Our Lady is the one, you know. She she when she appeared at Guadalupe in 1531, she she defines herself to Juan Diego in in Lauto, in the in the Aztec language as she's the one who crushes the stone serpent. And um, that's how we get the title of Guadalupe. You know that that to the to the bishop Zumara, who was the Franciscan uh, bishop, who uh, was Spanish, it sounded like in in that, in that native language, it sounded like Guadalupe, which is a very old title and an old apparition of Our Lady in Spain in the Old World, and that's how that's how the title was given. And I'm sure that Our Lady willed that because our God wills that there should be a a connection between the old world church and the new world church, and and that that Our Lady herself is the bridge. She's always the uh, she's she's always the bridge, as she's the bridge to get us from heaven to earth. So you see you see images everywhere of wherever you see Mexicans, you'll you'll see images. It's partly a nationalistic thing, but it's partly a deeply spiritual thing. Uh, I think when Mexicans see Our Lady, they remember the the comforting words of Our Lady to Juan Diego, "Am I not your who am your mother?" And uh, and the answer is indeed yes, and she she is with us that she is our mother, and she doesn't want us she doesn't want us to, to be lost. So Our Lady appears at Guadalupe on this little cactus cloth cloak, which by nature should have dissolved in about twenty years, and is still going strong, and it's full of full of miracles, and she sort of she writes out the story herself. Heaven writes out the story of 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 this the princess who crushes the, the, the serpent, who is about to give birth to a son, and who is herself more glorious than the son, because the son's in the background. And all that story is told on uh, in the hieroglyphics of her robe. And all of the, all of the, uh, the native peoples who come, the Aztec and the, um, the Mayans in particular, who come to see this, they, they can read it for themselves, and they can see the miracle for themselves, and they are thus converted. And that's how millions of people were converted by Our Lady to the Catholic faith in the 16th century by, by, this, uh, by, by this direct, uh, direct uh, cause, the, the apparition. And you have, you have that wonderful quote from one of the psalms of Our Lady, that it's, that's one of the psalms sung at Our Lady's Vespers, who ends with, Non fece taliter omni nazione. He hath not done such, or this, he has not treated this way, all of the other nations. No, it's it's something special, really, for this place and for this country. So that's a little bit about Guadalupe. So what do you think? In, in Mexico, then, is there still, has the public devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe uh, been preserved, or is that kind of been just encapsulated in the home and just in private devotion? Oh, no, see, that's, that's the thing about Mexico. Mexico is a place where everything is lived in public. And while, at the same time, there, there, there are people who live behind walls, and they have their private family devotion. Nevertheless, that idea 
and this is to the chagrin of the Freemasons and the naturalists, they have never been able to uh, do what they have done always north of the border in the United States to reduce religion to something which is a purely private affair. Despite all the persecutions and all the laws, you'll see... You know, you'll see the pictures of Our Lady of Guadalupe in stores and in restaurants and in cabs uh, throughout Mexico. And you're, you're liable at any time of the year to come across a procession. The, the, the people have organized a procession for our feast air procession in honor of Our, our Lady of Guadalupe, I recall, having seen many of, the, of, of these. And one of, one of the beauties of the devotion is that it doesn't require a priest. And so, uh, and 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 it, and it takes the people to Our Lady, and takes it, takes all of these truths to to their heart, and then out into the street. So no, the it, it's not something which is private; it's something which is public. And there isn't that dichotomy or that separation between a family life or private life behind the walls of the home, and that which goes on in public. It, it all it truly is all one. And so, Your Excellency, you know, in in Mexico over the course of my life, it's always seemed to me that they have a lot of public devotions that coincide with the liturgical year. Is, is that indeed the case? They, they do, and that's one of the... They coincide with the liturgical year, and, and as the liturgical year coincides with life, and the sacraments coincide with, with life, you see that with their... with the, you might say, the story of their devotions. So... Um, there is, first of all, obviously the sacrament of baptism. For the Mexican family, the uh, the sacraments are associated with some party, with a fiesta, and that's very, very big. And as time has gone on, the a lot of the spiritual element almost has been lost, and it's become very worldly and very secularized. Just as in our country, maybe since Vatican II, the last 50 years, the changes, you see that down there. Uh, let me just give a quick example of what I mean um, about the, the, the public devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe and the secularization. So there are many uh, pilgrimages that are sponsored to Guadalupe, which is essentially just a, a neighborhood now, not even a suburb anymore, of, of Mexico City, the capital of the country. So you, you'll see these pilgrimages from youth groups at, at, at schools, for example. And the pilgrimage will consist in this, first of all, that everybody... Everybody's parents buy the, ch- the children sort of a matching tracksuit, and that 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 that's that's been that's been made up, and then especially with, as a as a it's like a t-shirt, but 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 even more. And then there's, usually there's a torch, and they'll take turn, and that's you know that's all like a conflation from the the Olympics, and they're going to take turn take turns carrying a torch, or running a torch to Guadalupe. So there's a there's a bus or truck of some kind, and they. And these kids, maybe high schoolers, will the, the bus will stop, and one person or two people will get out, and they'll and they'll run with the torch for a while, and then and then it, be, it then becomes sort of a relay. Then 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 the, then the bus or the truck stops again, and two other students get on, and then they take the torch, and they and they run for a while, and the the idea of actual prayer, much less the idea of fasting or the sacraments. Very often, in, in these very worldly forms, that really does fall away. But on the other hand, I have seen uh, pilgrimages to Guadalupe or to some, some shrines of our Lord, too, where um, uh, often a miraculous crucifix, where very, very poor people are walking on their walk for days. 
Uh, they, they might very well be indigenous, and they're Indians. They'll walk for days, and it's a real, it is, it is truly a pilgrimage, so truly um, a, a penitential affair. So I think there's this, um, in the Church of Mexico, there's, this, there's a struggle between worldliness and wealth, and really a, making a parody out of, of what the sacraments and the devotional life should be, and then the, the old customs and traditions that still are observed to a certain degree and still call out. So to answer your question, you know, obviously it starts with baptism. The trouble is that sometimes with baptism, it's, it, um, it becomes a matter of, uh, of, of, of the party, and if there's not enough money for the party and throw a, a fiesta, then the, 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 the parents are, are tempted to wait. And it becomes sort of a financial thing almost, and that's 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 not good. But then later, just just to go to to walk through how these uh, these um, church occasions work, then there'll be the um, at the age of two, optimally, there'll be the confirmation that's done. So that's a custom in Mexico that goes back for centuries. It's the ancient practice of the church, and it's the practice still of the of the church in the Eastern rites today. So the bishop confirms that the babies are around the age of two or so, and that entails another fiesta. And the same, usually the same sponsors as for baptism, stand for this, that confirmation. Then, at about the age of five, there's a ceremony called presentation, presentation, in which they, the parents, bring the church, the child, to be offered to God and to Our Lady in church as an act of thanksgiving that the child has been preserved, in, in a sense, alive and healthy, spared of the different childhood diseases. And sometimes a mass is offered, or sometimes a priest will sing uh, the Te Deum, and there'll be, uh, there'll be special prayers and a blessing. Then after that would come First Holy Communion, confession and First Holy Communion, would come very, very similar to ours. But uh, very often it's still, uh, it's, it's not so early as ours would be, like the age of seven. Often you'll see first communicants age of 10, 11, 12. For that, uh, the, uh, the priest would always insist on the, on the catechism as we do, and there's again a, a big party. Then, then there's something which is unique to Mexico called the quinceanera, when the, the girl turns 15. And uh, that's almost like a wedding, except there's no groom around. It's a, it's, it's a truly big affair, and there's a mass and all the rest relatives and the friends come, and then, then there's an immense fiesta afterwards. But the beauty of these things, if done properly, is that each one is an opportunity for the priest to work with the, the individual or the family, and the people come to church for these things. They come to church. And um, then after that, pretty soon it will be time for the wedding, and then, then, then the girl will get married, and then, and then, then for the baptism again. So that's, like, that's the cycle, you might say, of a life. In which you see, in which you see these customs or devotions, then you could do the same thing with the uh, with the church year. That is to say, that Advent is very important in preparation for Christmas. They have the novena in preparation for Christmas, and that's often done by what's called known as the inns or las posadas. In, in which uh, there's a procession. Sometimes the rosary is recited, and the procession goes to a different uh, family each night, and there's a little r- r- ritual or routine that's, that, that's, that's enacted outside the door of, of Mary and Joseph looking for shelter for our Lord, and then, and then being sort of ritually refused, and then finally 
uh, allowed in. And then after the, the, the hymns and the prayers and the ceremonies are concluded, uh, this is nine, nine nights in a row in preparation for Christmas, then there's a little party, party for the children. Because there's always a party in Mexico. You're always going to be eating something. Uh, that's, that's, that's going to be a given. And then um, on... All on Epiphany, they call it the, the Day of the Kings, the de los Reyes. Then there uh, is a, a special cake that's based. It's very similar to the, there's a French custom along these lines too. And um, if you uh, if you get the bean in your cake, in your piece of the cake, then that means that you would have to throw the party for the next fiesta, church fiesta, which is for La Candelaria the Candlemas, or the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord in the Temple, February 2nd. The custom in Mexico is to have a baby Jesus in the crib, and to ha- and, and, and then he is very much exposed and honored during, during Advent and then, and then during the, uh, the whole Christmas season. And then for February 2nd, that little image of, of the child Jesus is dressed somehow in some sort of beautiful, beautiful robes, and then taken to church, in a little chair and put into the sanctuary during Mass. Sometimes they say the church is just full of these little baby Jesuses to, to be blessed. And then it's taken home, and this baby Jesus in the chair, and then it's put into a place of honor in the home for all year long. Um, <clears throat> this, has, this idea of the blessing of, of the baby Jesus has given way to many, many devotions, many, many imagined, sort of almost like imaginary titles, as, as uh, people would come up with different ways of, of dressing these, these baby Jesus statues. By the way, they refer to the baby Jesus, we would say the, whole, the holy child of the baby Jesus, they refer to him as uh, the baby God, el niño Dios. And that's, of course, the theological truth, this child is indeed God. So sometimes you see him dressed as a doctor, and sometimes you see him dressed as a pope or as, as, as a bishop. Sometimes you see him dressed as, 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 as a worker. There are all these different ways of dressing up the baby Jesus. But the devotion to the Holy Childhood, along with the devotion to the Passion, the devotion to Our Lady, are perhaps the, the three strongest devotions that you'll see in, in, in Mexico. And they're very important because... Remember, God accepts even our little and our very little. These are ways for people to have God in their life and for the needs of their life to draw them back to God, to Jesus, to Mary through prayer. Uh, so that's, that's very beautiful and very important. As we get towards Lent, then there's um, uh, the, the, the devotion in particular to the way of the cross. And uh, sometimes there will be sort of a, it's very, very popular in Mexico to have a sort of a living way of the cross, sort of a play or reenactment of it outdoors. And that's often done on Good Friday, sometimes to the prejudice of the liturgical ceremonies, I have to say. But they still have, um, even by their their, their titles, even by their old customs, they still have a a sense of of the sacred liturgy. There'd be the custom of visiting the uh, visiting the seven altars to go to seven different churches, if possible, on Holy Thursday night to visit the altar of repose. We would call or the sepulchre, and then on um, Holy Saturday, they they would call Holy Saturday the Saturday of the, of the Gloria, Sabado de Gloria, because of the intonation of the Gloria in Excelsis at the Easter Vigil at at, at, at noon. And there's even a popular Mexican custom of dousing each other with water, and that goes back to the idea of the 
priest, blessing the baptismal water on Holy Saturday at the vigil, and sprinkling the people with it. So those are some, uh, it's an interesting interweaving of the liturgical and of the devotional in their, um, in, in their lives. And so Your Excellency, you know, they have a lot of public devotions that sounds more like the community does as a whole. Mm-hmm. Is there any devotion that's specific to the family, you know, that you would just find in the home? Every home will have its altar, and the altar will be a conglomeration of holy pictures, statues, candles, and flowers. And that's very idiosyncratic to the, well, to the family itself, to the to the to the devotions, maybe to the to the images that have been passed on, and then mixed with that might very well be, especially near All Souls Day, the pictures of deceased relatives for whom they are they are praying. So you'll see that in their homes and that's where they that's where they will say their prayers every day. And that's obviously is, is something which is interior to the family and to the home. Uh, but the devotions would be what whatever their particular choice was, or maybe the devotion of the place. In any case you'd always see the Sacred Heart, you'd always see Our Lady of Guadalupe, you'd always see the Holy Child Jesus and the crucifix. But you might see some you might see some others too. And, and so, in in the family devotions, uh, you know, is it more the the father that takes the leadership role or the mother? It seems like in America, it's it's the mother more. But how is it? It is. It is unfortunately, it is it is the mother. Religion then becomes the um, becomes the uh, the department of of the woman. This is a problem. That's the whole problem. They would say they would say with Latin Catholicism, this is definitely a problem. That is, it's the women that go to church and the women that, that that take care of the of the of of the devotion at home, and and the men, as an unfortunate result of the influence of naturalism and uh, secularism in their culture, the men are more estranged from church. You'll often see men in a procession. But then they don't enter into the church. The women go into the church. There'll be a say that there's a novena before a great feast day. I remember first the feast day of Saint James, in um, this little town near Acapulco called uh, Dos Caminos, the Two Ways, and they honor Saint James uh, as their patron saint. And he, uh, their, his title actually is El Señor Santiago Apostol, Saint James, the Lord Saint James the Apostle, and El Matamoro, the, the Moor Slayer. He's very much connected with the deliberation of Spain and from 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 the Mohammedans, a very timely devotion, obviously. Well, at at dawn, before dawn, it's very be- beautiful and very impressive. There's a band and there's music and there's hymns and there's a procession through the village to the church. And the men will be in the procession or they may be playing in the band, but only the women would go in and they would present flowers to the saint uh, at the altar. Uh, nine, these nine mornings in a row and stay for mass, but the, the men go out, uh, stay outside. And sometimes at that point, unfortunately, I remember many times witnessing this as a bishop. The bottle of El Presidente brandy would brandy would make its appearance. And sometimes after they have had their liquid refreshment, shall we say, they do grow a little bit warmer in their friendliness towards towards the clergy or people in general. But uh, that's that that is a classic problem. That's. Uh, that that's very much present. It's it's the women that maintain these things, and the women alone who pass on the faith in in, in the family. But I should also say that in in families where the Cristero tradition is stronger, in families that are more educated, 
and in, in strong, more strongly traditional Catholic families, the, the man has his traditional leadership role. And I have seen that a number of times, too, much to my edification. And, and when the man or the father of the family takes that leadership role, it, do you find it where there's less superstition about the devotions, that they're, they're true devotions, versus what it seems like when mothers are the leaders of the, of the home in the spirituality, it becomes more superstitious almost. I wouldn't. I, I, I've never noticed that particularly. I think it depends on the region. It depends most of all on the education of the people. The people are very, very simple, and they've had hardly any education at all in the faith. Then there's going to be a very superstitious approach to these things. Whereas if uh, they have been well taught by a priest, if they have the fortune maybe even to go to a Catholic school or to come under some good, uh, some good Catholic influence, then that's not going to be so strong. But the 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 approach to religion as 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 really that is superstition is extremely strong, especially in the south of Mexico. So I wouldn't associate so much with the sex, whether it be the father or the mother, as with uh, the place and the the culture, and especially formation. Has there been a Catholic formation given or not? Now you wanted to add your excellency before we end. Let's see what would be good to add here. Well, to, to uh, I think uh, to maybe just to reiterate a bit, to say that I, I recommend the some some good Catholic reading uh, as 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 uh, our Restoration Radio listeners follow this series, uh, Saint Francis de Sales, Saint uh, Saint Louis de Montfort, and a real appreciation of the fact that God. Sometimes there's a tendency, and one does when even comes across a reading, same for myself in preparation for this show, that the the, the tendency is to think that um, only that which is intellectual, only that which is higher, or maybe only that which is maybe strictly liturgical is um, is is worthwhile, and all these other devotions, well, just leave them in the dust, let them just be forgotten. That's just for little old ladies and superstitious women. Um, that nothing could be further from the truth. I think maybe the most important thought that I have about devotion, aside from the fact that it's it's really meant to be our means of vowing, remember, it's our baptismal vows, vowing ourselves over to the service of God, the most important thought has got to be that of the um, how God is so patient with us, and everybody has a different way of approaching God, and sometimes it would seem very little and very slight to us, but it's childish, childlike, childish almost. But we shouldn't despise any of the people and any of the things. And even when there is superstition, we should do our best to uh, to move it to a, to, uh, to to a higher level. But to see how childlike faith is always rewarded by God and by the Virgin Mary. And rather than to condemn or to despise, I think we, there, there's tremendous amount still today for us to be encouraged by and to be and to be strengthened by. And that, of course, and that's well, what's that? That's that, that's the role of true devotion. Well, uh, once again, Your Excellency, I want to thank you for your time, and uh, I look excited to continuing the series next month. And uh, so, God bless, and we will talk to you soon. Very good. It's been my pleasure, James. Thank you very much. God bless. You. Uh, if you have any questions for His Excellency or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at devotions at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to His Excellency. And we'd like to take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential.
All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you would please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am James Shruffer. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.